you'll open your Bibles tonight to Colossians, Colossians, the third chapter. Hallelujah. We'll start reading at verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your heart, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through him. Dear Heavenly Father, this scripture is so full of good things. Your word is so rich. And God, if we only had ears to hear, a heart that was receptive, many of our problems would disappear. Lord, would you move through here tonight by your Holy Spirit? Would you just touch each of us? Let us sense the reality of what's being said here. God, we pray for the anointing that will make this word come alive. And I pray, God, that that anointing would rest upon each of us. And especially this pastor, as this word is brought forth, that I might bring it forth as it is, the oracles of God. And that, Lord, your people might receive it as it is, the word of God to them. Lord, bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. And you know, there is something special about this Christian life. There is something so exciting about this walk in the Spirit. I just believe that even if there wasn't any hereafter, even if there wasn't a time when we're all going to meet face to face with the with the our Lord and Savior. I just believe this is one of the most exciting ways to live. I believe that 
this is a, every Christian ought to be just thrilled. Every day ought to be new and exciting to them. I, I don't think that we ought to live in drudgery. I just believe that God has, when you're born again, when you're filled with the Spirit, something takes place that you become the elect of God. You see, that's how you're chosen by God. They that have decided to follow Jesus, if you have made that decision, you have become the elect of God. You are something special. God is working in your life. All things pass away. All things become new. We could say we've turned over a new leaf, so to speak. But in these verses, we see that the old life needs to be mortified and it has to give place to this new life of love. I remember that early experience that Betty and I had together. I probably told some of you about it before, but I, I want to go through it again because it was it was such an experience and it, and it really expresses what this new life is all about. I was on my ship and uh, I just had an urge to go see my wife and I never went to, just to go see my wife at noon and I took a trip from Little Creek through the, through the tunnel went over to Portsmouth and she was working in a department store. She was working up on the second floor. And I walked into that department store and uh, you got to know my wife to, to really appreciate this. My wife is not one that kisses you in public. All right. And I walked into that department store and as I walked down toward where she, she, she was, this beautiful glow came over her and she ran up and threw her arms around me and gave me a big kiss right there in the middle of the store. I, and I didn't know how to react. If you, are, if you want to really shock your husbands, ladies, try that sometime. But I took her out to lunch and as we went to lunch, something, I, I was sharing whether something had happened to me that I just had, it was like a baptism of love. I just had such a love for people. And this is when I first began to realize that God had called me to be a minister. I began to realize that little by little from that day forward. I just had such a love and it seemed like everyone had a love for me. Now I know that this was a supernatural experience, but it seemed like everyone I looked at was smiling. And they just, all I could see was Jesus in them. 
I know that this was a supernatural experience, but yet I know that this is what God wants for each one of our lives. He wants us to sense that kind of a love. A love that goes beyond outward appearances. A love that goes beyond anything that this life has to offer. And as I was experiencing this, and I was sharing it with my wife, she was saying that she was having these same experiences. And it was tremendous to just sit there and share with my wife this experience that I was having, this love that was shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost. And I can't explain it any other way. It was the love of God that God had placed in my heart for, for these people, and I just couldn't see anything wrong with anybody. I think if, if I hadn't controlled it, I'd probably just run up and give all kinds of strangers hugs that day. It was so neat. And I'd like to experience that to a more, a longer period of time. I'd like to experience it every moment. The moment we speak about love, it brings us into talking about relationships with other people. Love is not something that can be confined to yourself. Love has to do something. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Love will motivate you to respond in some positive direction. If we have a love for souls, then we're going to go out and try to win souls. Amen? Love is a motivating force. I think it was Paul that said, for the love of Christ constraineth me. In other words, it was this love that he had for Christ that kept him from doing things that wasn't right. We can see here in the scripture tonight that Paul was aiming at unity in the church. Colossian, or Colossi had experienced a heresy, the Colossian, the Colossian heresy. And Paul was writing a letter to Colossi. And here he's trying to focus on the importance of Jesus Christ and he's trying to focus on the love and the unity that needs to be in the body of Christ. Now let us analyze this life of love 
that we, if, if you've been born again, then you've been born into a life of love. You see, it's not only that Christ loved us, but he loved us so that we can become lovers. Christians ought to be motivated by love, the love they have for Jesus Christ. As much as you have done it unto one of these, the least of my brethren, you have done it unto me. So let's analyze this life of love tonight. First of all, in verse 13 here, I see that this love has a forgiveness like that of Christ. Bearing with one another. Forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Christ has forgiven us a great debt. There's not a one of us that are not indebted to Christ for our salvation. Because without the blood of Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. Jesus loved us so much that he laid down his life that we might have life. Christ forgave us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we're to forgive one another as Christ forgave us. That is a whole mouthful. In other words, I don't wait until the person becomes repentant. I don't wait until the person becomes what I want them to be or do what I want them to do or have them come and, and ask my forgiveness. I forgive them as Christ forgave me, is what it says. You may not be deserving of forgiveness, but because Christ has forgiven me, I must forgive you. Christ was nailed to a cross. Christ suffered and died. He poured out his life's blood for me. See, that's why we gotta we gotta make it very real. He forgave me even though I had done such a horrible thing to him. It was my sins that put him on that cross. Now, you might remember that in Matthew, Matthew chapter 18, Peter came to, well, 1821, Peter came to Jesus and he said, Master, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven, seven times? I mean, seven is a complete number. Shall, 
Shall I forgive him seven times? He thought he was being very generous. I mean, the guy hurts you seven times and does the same thing over seven times. After a while, you get a little leery about whether you want to forgive him or not, right? And so he was being very generous. Shall I forgive him seven times? And Jesus said, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. In other words, an infinite amount of time. Just keep right on forgiving him. And then he told about this landowner, this man who was going to settle accounts. And one came to him and he owed him such a large amount that he had no means by which to pay him. And the man said, I, I can't pay you, but if you'll just be patient with me, I'll pay you everything that I owe you. And because the master had compassion upon him, he forgave him this great, huge debt. And then this servant, who had this great debt forgiven him, because somebody owed him just a little bit, went out and he grabbed him by the throat and he said, I don't want you to pay me now. And he said, I don't have anything to pay you right now, but be patient with me and I'll pay you everything I owe you. And the, the servant would not. He took and had him thrown in the jail. And so word got back to the master. And the master was wrought. He was angry. And he took that wicked servant and he threw him into jail and gave him over to the tormentors until every last cent was to be paid. And he said, so will my heavenly father do to you if you don't forgive everyone their debts. I don't see where Christians have any choice. I can't see where we can afford to be unforgiving. If I'm reading the scriptures right, I have to forgive. When I compare the the great debt that I owe Jesus Christ compared to what someone has done to me, they haven't done anything to me compared to what I've done to Jesus. My sins had a nail to a cross. And I haven't had anybody sins about it against me that they've had me nailed to a cross yet. That means I've got to forgive my, my children. It means I've got to forgive my wife. That means I've got to forgive everyone in the church.
That means I've just plain got to forgive. And yet, we're so prone to want to hold on to this unforgiveness. And Paul is trying to deal with that here. And he said, even as Christ forgave you, and he did it freely. He did it freely. I think you ought to underline that in your Bible. The last part of that. Even as Christ forgave you, underline that part. Even as Christ forgave you, so do ye. And the next time that someone irks you just a little bit, and you feel like running off to another church is going to solve it. Just remember, Christ is still Lord in the other church. And he still demands forgiveness. Right? You can't run out on it. Not anymore, because now you're a new creature. Old things have passed away. That means that old unforgiving spirit has gone. And when it rises, it raises its ugly head again, you just say, I choose to love as Christ loved me. Secondly, we see here that this new life of love is the bond of perfection, verse 14. But above all these things, I mean, that is so important, above all these things. If I, could, if I come up to you and I say, I want you to do this, 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 and this, but above all these things, then the next thing I'm going to say is important, isn't that right? I'm putting a priority on it. And so he's saying, above all these things, put on love. Because that is the bond of perfection. That is... That shows maturity. That brings you, what is perfection in the, in the Christian realm? To be like Jesus. And God is love. Is that right? If God lives in your heart and, and, and he's there of a truth, then you are now love. If you don't express your life in love, then you ought to examine to see if Christ is in your heart. Because Christ is love. Amen? You don't have to read 1 Corinthians 13 over many times to realize the importance of love. He said you can talk in tongues, you can give your body to be burned, 
You can cast out demons. You can do all kinds of mighty good works. But if you don't have love, then you're a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Isn't that right? You're just making a lot of racket. You're kidding yourself. I don't care how many Sunday school classes you teach. I don't care whether you're a preacher behind the pulpit. If you don't have love in your heart, then you're just spinning your wheels. And that's what the Scripture's trying to tell us. Above all these things, above being a Sunday school teacher, above being helpful in the church, above leading the youth group, above being a mother, above being a father, you've got to have love. It's more important than anything else. Anything. If you don't have love, then you haven't, you haven't become what Christ died to make you. The bond of perfection is love. Hallelujah. You see, love will bring the whole life into harmony. Love expresses the willingness of a person to give himself for the good of another. You see, the, the problem with most of us is we're looking out for the good of number one. You know, the mark of the beast is that he looks out for number one. But the Christian looks out for the good of everybody else. He puts himself last. Hallelujah. Without love, this new life in Christ Jesus will not continue to exist. The church will not grow. Amen? You've got to have love above all things. Love. Above programs, Pastor. Love. Amen? above gatherings together and above everything that you could do in a church, you got to have love. Even discipline has to be metered out in love. When you, when you discipline your child, it's with the idea of bringing about restoration to where they should be. And it's the same way in a church. The reason we meter out love uh, our discipline is to get them to do what we want but we do it in love because we want to restore them okay thirdly God's peace rules and invokes man's gratitude verse 15 and let the peace of God you think God's got peace? 
It's not your peace that's going to rule. It says the peace of God. Let the peace of God. I think God's a perfect peace. Let the peace that God has. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. To which also you were called in one body and be thankful. When we're godlike in our compassion, in our forgiveness, in our love, we're going to find that there is a peace that passes all understanding. Not only a peace in your own heart, but there will be peace amongst those that are in relationship to you. There won't be constant turmoil. If your family's in constant turmoil, then it's because that love is not being shed abroad the way it should be. If you've got that love and forgiveness, you're going to have peace. problem is too many of us want to have our own way. You know, there's a wise old Indian saying, don't judge another man until you've walked a mile in his moccasins. Try to put yourself in the other man's moccasins for a little bit. And all of a sudden you'll find that they pinch. And maybe you would react the same way he reacted had you had the same situation. I think we need to take ourselves out of ourselves and put ourselves in someone else's position in order to really understand why that person reacted the way they did. And you're never going to have peace until you take this word and it becomes more than a word written in a book. This has got to be written in your heart. See, you're, you're a letter. You're an epistle that's read by all men. And what's written in your heart, you know, it's funny. It always becomes evident to everyone else before it becomes evident to yourself. Did you notice that? Everyone else seems to know what's in your heart before you do. And when you go to God in prayer, you begin to see, oh, you see some horrible things there. But you've got to conform to the Word, and the Word says that we must be forgiving. Here, here, let's, let's look at it again. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, long-on-suffering. Bearing with one another. 
You know, when we've got that peace of God in our hearts, and we begin to follow after peace, then we're going to do everything to preserve that peace. You see, Christ not only provided peace for us with God, but he brought us into the proper relationship with one another. And if you're living that type of relationship, the, and for instance, it says husbands and wives and, and everyone else, you're not supposed to let the sun go down on your anger, right? You know why? It spoils your peace. It does. Did you ever have a restless night's sleep because instead of following peace, you just kind of harbor some little grudge? Tough, isn't it? You know, sleep really evades you at a time like that. And God has called us to a life of peace. We're to, we're to be at peace with all men. With all men. He makes even your enemies be at peace with you. Amen? If you're in conformity to the word of God. And when you've got such a state of mind and heart, then it's going to lead you to be thankful. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're to follow after peace. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. And be thankful. You know... It doesn't say, and be a grumbler. It doesn't say that. And be a complainer. It says, follow after peace. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. And be thankful. How many are thankful for the way God has worked in your life? You know, when, when, when you really count your blessings and you count what God has done for you, that peace, you know, that's more important than anything else. And you can be, you need to be thankful for what God has done. Amen? Number four, this new life of love. God's word is translated with a heartfelt praise. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Where's this word of God to dwell? Huh? In you. In you. The word of God is to dwell in you. It's not something that's supposed to just pass by your eardrums, go in one ear and out the other. It's to dwell in you. Richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Oh boy, I love this. That means I can come and correct you. 
Is that what it says? How do we admonish one another? In hymns and songs and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart. It's all right, brother. It's going to get better. See, when we admonish one another, hey, brother, it's better to forgive. And then you'll have peace. See, that's the way we admonish one another. Why don't we pray together? Not go up and, you rotten sinner. See? You don't do it that way. You can't do it that way. You've got to do it in love. Songs and hymns and making song and melody in your heart. Having love and Hey, listen, we're all going through troubles. Is there anyone here who hasn't had any trouble this year yet? Well, hang on, you will. All of us are going through problems. The first problem we have is telling the truth. <laughs> We, we, we need to help one another. I need your help. I'm serious. I need your help. And maybe I can be of some help to you. And that's the attitude we got to have, you see. Not this kind that goes up and looks down their nose and, I'm holier than you are. Therefore, you better listen. See, you can't do that. We've got to love one another. Amen? Amen. Sometimes, if we would just stop and think, we wouldn't say some of the things we say. We can say some things that are very cutting to one another. Amen? Much better to quote Scripture if you can't say something nice. Amen? Hallelujah. That's why you got to let the Word of God dwell in you richly. And singing and prayer meetings and sharing testimonies, these, are, these all help us through these hard times. You know, the meeting together of the saints ought to be a joyous occasion. Hey, the families come home. We're together again. Yeah, I wish I could sing that song. We're together again. How's that go? We're, we're in one accord. Praising the Lord. That's the way it should be. These meetings, when we come together, sh should not be a time when we gossip about one another. This should be a time when we love one another. Jesus said, you'll know that they're my disciples by their, by their love. Hallelujah. They love one another. See how they love. Hallelujah. You know, love doesn't point out faults. 
Love over love covers a multitude of sin, doesn't it? I'd rather just uh, help my brother along rather than pointing fingers at him because I always got three of them pointing back at me or four. You know? And then last of all, verse 17 here. We find that this verse 17 is the key to this new life of love. This is the most important verse that we've covered here in this section. This gives you how to succeed. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything I do is dedicated to God. Everything, everything I do is motivated by my love for Jesus Christ. If I can honestly say that, if, if my, every action is motivated by my love for Jesus Christ, and I love Jesus more than, than I love myself, then I'm not going to be hurt, right? I love Jesus. And so I'm going to love you not for your sake. I'm going to love you for Jesus' sake. Oh, wait a minute. This is throwing a whole new light on things. That means I don't have to love you because of your actions. I love you because I love Christ. That's the key. That means that you can do all kinds of cruel things to me and I'm going to love you anyhow. Because I'm not loving you because of what you're doing. I'm loving you because I love Christ. And that's the key to the whole change. That's what changes you when you're doing it for Christ, not for man. And when you, and it goes on, and the very next thing it begins to talk about a family. <clears throat> begins to talk about wives submitting to their husbands and so forth. You don't submit to your husband because your husband is worth submitting to. You submit to your husband because you love Christ. You understand? I love Christ. And because I love Christ, I'm going to submit to my husband for Christ's sake. That makes it easy. I only got to submit to one. That's Jesus. If I'm submitted to Jesus, then I'm submitted to you. Because I'm doing it for Christ's sake. Don't you see how this is the key to the whole thing? And Paul is brought up before these Colossians, and he says, if you want to have harmony in your church, here it is. Here it is. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm telling you, this is good stuff. Hallelujah. His banner over me is love. Our conversation becomes more sanctified. Our way of living becomes more sanctified. 
See, because I'm, I'm doing it for Christ now. I, I, I don't have to... I don't have to use crude language so that they, so that people think that I'm a man according to world standards. I use godly language for Christ's sake. Hallelujah. When I begin to do everything for Christ, then I'm, I'm, I'm not giving up my bad habits because the world says to. I'm giving them up because I love Christ. And I want Him to be glorified. And this thing that I'm doing is not glorifying Christ. Therefore, I give it up. I'm not going to do it anymore. It's not that I can't do it or I won't do it. Because I love Christ. Hallelujah. And our actions are going to become a lot more holy and a lot more godlike when we get when we get this truth into our heart that we're doing everything for Christ. Amen? You know, I bet you thought you were running the youth group because of the, uh, uh, because of the people and because you love these kids and so forth, right? You're doing it for Christ. See, I'm doing it for Christ. That means no matter what opposition I come against, I'm doing it for Christ. And I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Christ is going to going to going to bring that peace into my heart if I'm doing what I know God wants me to do. If I'm doing the very best that I can, and if I'm not doing the very best.